you got to put in the reps. You have to put in the reps. It's just like if you want to get better at rejection, go hear a bunch of no's. You know, not yeses, the yeses are the easy ones, right? It's, it's the no's, it's getting that experience under your belt. What is up, People First Leaders? My name is Chris Lynn, and I am your advocate and host for the Leading People First podcast, where we are set to transform the workplace. Make sure you are subscribed, hit that subscribe button so you can hear more from awesome leaders around the world on the effect that leadership has on the employee experience. Now let's dive straight into this interview. Today I am pleased to welcome my next guest. I'm talking with the founder of Blaze Your Own Trail Consulting, a father of five, how do you do? Two-time top 20 training leader, no biggie. Uh, Seahawks fan, not sorry for Super Bowl 40, 2006 as a Steelers fan. Fellow podcast host interviewing amazing guests such as Kristen Sherry, Billo Samoa Salibi, and Ryan Nall, retired 90s breakdancer, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles lover, radical, and is the number three Filipino to follow on LinkedIn, Jordan Mendoza. Jordan, what is up, my brother? Hey, how's it going? And man, you made me sound really cool. So that, <laughs> that doesn't happen very often, especially with five kids. I'm the most uncool guy in the house. So, Oh, man. Dude, well, first, you have a beautiful family and you have a, you know, a really wide range of uh, your kids are really go from really young, almost newborn, right? Just a few months yep, yep. to a seven or no, 16 year old going to be turning 17 this year, man. So yep. um, how do you do that? <laughs> well, start? Hey, listen, Chris, if, if, if I didn't say this, I'd be just lying to myself. So it's all my wife, like my wife, Natalie, she, she's upstairs. I get to be down here in my space working and being on amazing podcasts and speaking to amazing audiences like yours. And she's up doing all the hard stuff, man. She's, you know, being mom and superwoman and, and doctor and lawyer, right? I mean, all the conflict that she's dealing with and, you know, administrator and teacher, like, I mean, she wears way more hats than I do. And so kudos to her and every woman or man, if it's the stay at home dad, that's doing that, because like, I'm very self-aware that if we had to switch roles, I would be out, you know, like I just wouldn't be, I just know I'm just not capable. I get left with three of them and I'm having a hard time. So I, you know, I think, uh, you know, we have to be aware of our strengths and that's definitely not one of mine. You know, I don't have the, the patience or just the, the, the vast skill set to have that many arms at once. It's just not me, man. The women in our <laughs> lives, man, uh, are incredible. I mean, I would say the same thing about my wife and our two kids. I mean, like you leave me with my kids for an hour and I'm like pulling my hair out and she does it <laughs> all day. And I'm like you, man, like I get to, I'm almost like isolated in my work bubble and I can't thank her enough. Um, and I'm sure it's the same for you, but, um, man, the, the women in our lives have such an instrumental impact on us. And I know your mom has had as well. Um, and so, you know, I would love to hear more about, you know, your mom's impact on your life, but really how she may have influenced your, uh, your philosophy for leadership. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Well, yeah, she, my mom was amazing, you know, and, and her story almost didn't even begin. And, and this is something I found out after she had passed away, but my, my grandmother was raped in 1957 in Los Angeles. And, um, and then in 1958 in January, my mom was born. And when she was born, she had one lung, you know, a hypoplastic lung. And back in the fifties, when that happened, there was two things that they told my grandmother. It was, she probably won't live to be 18 years old. 
and she definitely won't be able to have any kids. And so here she comes to this planet and that's the hand she was dealt, like won't, won't live to this and won't be able to do this. And so, man, I don't know, <laughs> that's a ton of adversity to face. And she you know, made it through high school without even having to use oxygen, which was amazing. And that's a miracle in itself. And then shortly after, you know, uh, high school had my older brother and then had me and, and kept having kids. Her, the, our oldest, our youngest brother, she had when she was 40. So, I mean, just amazing, man. And like, you know, but, but as I grew up and, you know, we didn't have a whole lot of money. We were pretty poor, grew up in Portland, North Portland, um, moved a lot and probably, you know, from birth to 14, 14 times, but, you know, she never made it feel awkward for us. You know, it was, we always had enough, whether that was, you know, food stamps or, you know, the going to the places to grab the government cheese and stuff. But we always, we always had enough, you know, I like the pink lunch tickets were normal to me. Like when I got to, I didn't realize until high school that I, not everybody used those things. So like, she never made us feel like we were, were underprivileged in any way. And that was through the love and kindness and her humor. And then her love of sports, she made sure we were involved in sports and, and, you know, I wasn't very good at sports. I actually enjoyed selling, you know, the candy bars and the beef jerky. That was like where I shined, you know, always had a passion for just communicating with people, but yeah, she just taught us so much. And she, you know, people talk about pivoting, right. You know, it's a big thing for 2020 and 2021, but I think about her life and like, she couldn't work. She was on oxygen most of my life, but she would go to the dog races to try to win money for us or go play bingo. And so she was always hustling, trying to figure out like, how can I provide for my family? So she showed us also the hard work in that, in that grind, you know? And so like for me growing up, it was easy at 14, a guy needed a people to go knock on doors, like literally go knock on people's houses to try to sign them up for the newspaper. And so me and my brother, our buddy, Steve, my buddy, Tyler, we like load up in a truck and he would drop us off in neighborhoods and apartment communities. And we would literally knock and try to get people to sign up for the newspaper, you yeah. know, and I don't know the, you know, the, the age range of your audience, but like newspapers are those things that people used to, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but most people now, newspapers today, Chris, are where? It's in the palm of your hand. Yeah. So just imagine like I'm 14, I'm like knocking on your door and I'm like, Hey, would you like to sign up for the daily or the daily and Sunday paper? You know, and of course, slam the door in your face. I mean, every single thing you can think of like, Hey, you woke up my baby. Like it was not a fun experience on day one. I had a hundred people tell me no, but I'll tell you and I'll tell anyone that ever listens or watches this. That is the best experience you can get is failure at an early age, rejection at an early age, develop that tough skin at an early age, because what it taught me when I did go back for day two is that I could do it. Yeah. You know, I could actually hear all those. And, and so I developed this really strong mentality at a young age that, you know, no really just equals next opportunity. You know, no does not mean, no does not mean no. It just means, you know, maybe it just wasn't the right fit for what I'm having in front of these folks right now. So uh, yeah. that, that really helped a lot, man. That's awesome, man. Uh, the, the thing I love about your story is just a, how, not only how young you started, but B, you also found your calling very, very early on when a lot of people, I would say most people in this world just don't know what they're doing. I mean, I have, I know a lot of people who are in their thirties right now and they're like, 
still trying to figure it out, which is totally fine, right? Everyone has their own journey, but you knew so you knew right away. And I think that speaks to your number one strength, right? Which is self, self-assurance. And you like, you just have that confidence in that, that ability to just know this is what I'm going to do. And you're going to move forward with it. You know, going to the topic of, of leadership and the show, I mean, what does it mean to you to lead people first? Oh man. Wow. Leadership to me is, is definitely, it's about being a good listener. You know, that's what I found in leadership. That's been, that's made me effective as, as a coach as well, because a leader is, is also a good coach. And so for me, it's listening, uh, you know, listening with the intention to truly understand what that person in front of you is saying, because when you can repeat that information back to that person, man, there's so much value there and there's so much trust that gets built from the beginning. And, and to me, if, if, if your leadership style isn't based on a foundation of trust, you know, and valued, which are, are two things that are near and dear to me, um, then it's not going to be sustainable. Yeah. You know, um, it's going to be more of a transactional relationship. And, and so that's really, you know, as a leader, as a business owner, as a podcast host, uh, to me, it's about building relationships. You know, how, how many relationships can I build? I, I, you never know who you're going to impact. You never know who's going to impact you in some way that could change your life. And I've had a lot of those life-changing moments uh, really in 2020 and, uh, and, and a few other years and, you know, kind of pivotal things that have helped really change my perspective, you know, because I think good leaders help people see things in themselves that they don't see, but they also enable them to activate those and grow in those areas, right? Because like for me, as a leader, I always wanted to replace and duplicate myself. So if I had an associate that wanted a certain role, I wanted to get them there, right? I want them to excel and and to grow because if your people aren't growing, then to me, you're not leading the right way because leaders should want their teams to grow and their people to become the best versions of them. Yeah. Well, I mean, as you're, as you're saying that I'm just hearing all of your strengths popping up, right? Like activation, communication, and it's so important for, you know, us to not only know what our strengths are, but also what our, like you said, what our leaders are, sorry, what our team's abilities are and really maximize and activate what the, uh, those strengths really are. And so that's really important. So, you know, it takes a lot for leaders to really, again, figure out kind of who we are, what we're trying to do, what we're trying to figure out. You seem to have that kind of figured out very early on as far as what you wanted to do. But I think leadership journeys, like learning to become a leader, especially this mentality of leading people first takes some time. I mean, I think even as, you know, if you're younger, you may not have that. You may not know what that is. So can you share, you know, how you got to where you are today? Because you have a fascinating story. So how did you get to learn to lead people first? I mean, through your accident that you had, I mean, it's 21 years ago almost now, right? where you were told where you wouldn't walk. So how was that journey for you? And what were your biggest takeaways to learn to lead people first? Yeah, I think the way I learned to lead people first is leading them second, you know, like a lot of failure, a lot of leading people the wrong way, you know, you know, doing it for me versus them. You know, I I think uh, on most people's journeys, that's, that's how we grow is if we can learn from our mistakes, you know, you, because, yeah. you know, you can have, make mistakes. We're going to make them. Um, I'm going to make some probably today. I'll make them tomorrow. Like every day I might make them every single day of the whole year, but 
as long as I take those lessons so that that mistake doesn't become repeatable, you know? Yeah. So, so I think for me, it was just failing a lot, you know, um, trying to do things in ways that I thought were conducive for their growth, but they really were helping me grow. Right. Yeah. So you, you're kind of having an ulterior motive. And, and so when I truly just said, let's like, like, how do I, as a leader, enable them to grow the most? And so for me, it was teaching first, like showing, modeling the behavior yeah. and then watching them do it and then giving them feedback on it. You know, I think feedback is, is so lost in our culture. We don't do it enough. We typically, we think we're doing it, but it's really reprimanding because most people give only give feedback when it's way too late you know, and there, yeah. there wasn't any other touch points that happened yeah. prior. And so it's like a surprise to the, the person that's receiving it. And the person giving it is so flustered because they hate doing it because they put it off for so long, yeah. you know? Yeah. So, you know, those are, those are kind of some little things that, that I've learned in my journey. And, um, and I think they can be helpful for a lot of people. Spoken like a true L and D professional, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, man. Yeah. So, so as far as the, the accident, you know, I would love to share that. So there's really been, uh, now today I say four pivotal moments in my life and I'd love to give some context on those yeah. if, if we go have a it. few minutes. So, yeah, so fir first one happened, man, fourth grade, you know, Pier park. Um, I was, I was up to bat. We had this big picnic and I still Chris to this day and anyone listening, I don't know if anyone else had a fourth grade picnic on the last day. Like I can see fifth grade, right? We're going to middle school, but but I don't know why we did one on fourth grade, but I was happy to be there, Chris. And, and I was up to bat, so I, I swung a baseball bat. I, I kind of spun around. It landed under a big tree, a big Douglas fir tree. I stood, grabbed the bat, stood up, and there was a beehive on the top of my head. And I literally, I was started running. There was kids running away from me, teachers running away. I was doing somersaults and there were bees all over me. I was being stung like crazy. And I finally made it to an area where there was uh, teachers, there was benches and they had these big coolers and they started dumping them on me and pulling the bees off, you know, one by one and all in all 53 stings <laughs> on that day. Uh, definitely painful. Right. I mean, but it got to the point where I couldn't really feel it. You know, it was yeah. kind of numb after a while, but you know, if I was allergic to bees, brother, we wouldn't be having this conversation, you know, and, <laughs> and, and yeah. what a, what a crazy thing to happen. And, you know, f fast forward to seventh grade, I'm 12, you know, I, I had mentioned earlier, we moved several times between zero and 14. And, and this was one of those moves. We moved a few neighborhoods uh, away and I had to take two public buses to get to, to school. And one of them stopped in front of a 7-Eleven convenience store. And the first time I went, of course, my mom rode with me. She went to meet the person at the store. Her name's Rosa. I remember yeah. it very vividly. Uh, just to make sure I, I knew where I was going, did that first route with me. So every other day was normal. I would get off. I would stop at that 7-Eleven. I'd play Mortal Kombat 2. It was my favorite game back then. Um, and I would just hang out, wait for the next bus. You know, Rosa would usually flag me. I'm not paying attention. Let me know when the bus is coming. And so I was playing Mortal Kombat 2. I hear the bell, you know, the chimes of when someone enters and I hear a male voice say, hey, Daniel. And I'm not Daniel. So I'm just playing the game, just playing away. And within about a minute, I, my body's being lifted. I get shoved into the Terminator 2 pinball machine. It had the gun was the trigger to pull to shoot the ball. Uh, I'm assaulted, punched on both sides by this male officer, handcuffed and thrown in the back of a police car. 
And so, of course, I'm crying. The lady's screaming at him. They're, she's saying, hey, his name's not Daniel. And they're yelling, cussing at her and telling her they're going to arrest her. And, you know, uh, you know, my only saving grace, I was in that cop car and I was pleading, Chris. I was like, please, you know, my name is not Daniel. It's Jordan Mendoza. I, and I never did my homework, bro. Like never did it. But I knew this day it was in my pocket. And I said, please, it's in my right pocket. And he reaches in. He grabs that piece of paper out and ma'am, I tell you, he read my name. He looked like he saw a ghost because he knew he had screwed up, you know? And, uh, you know, of course, so uh, what a pivotal moment, you know I mean? Especially with the landscape out there today. What if I would have fought back? What if I would have been darker than I am? You know, I think about all these things, like there's a chance that I would not survive that, you know, but um, it was one of those experiences where I had to go see a, a psychiatrist. I had to go through all these things because I had bruised wrists and bruised ribs. I mean, my, I only wanted them fired. I was like, these people should not have jobs. And I didn't want to go through, you know, years of all this judicial process. So um, that's really what happened. They got fired and I went on with my life and they went on with theirs, you know, because even at 12, I knew that there were bad people. Not everyone was bad. Not all cops were bad. Like, people make mistakes. You know, there are, there are bad people. And listen, I'd seen it. I'd seen it in my stepdad who was an alcoholic for, for 20 plus years and, you know, you know, hurt my mom a few, you know, so, but I knew he wasn't a bad person. I knew that he'd made some mistakes and bad choices, you know? So even then I had that awareness of like, you know, I don't want this thing to be drawn out. I don't want this to be some big deal where I'm trying to go get a bunch of money, you know, and things like that. So that was really pivotal moment too, brother. And you fast forward to 19, uh, you know, I'd gotten a job in California doing sales, you know, door to door business to business. We were going to open an office in New Jersey and we had a caravan of cars. And so we took kind of the scenic route, went down to, you know, Arizona and Salt Lake city, and then kind of made our way just the, really the scenic route stopped by to see some uh, folks in other offices. And we were in uh, Wyoming and I don't know if you've been into Wyoming, Chris, or anyone listening, but it's very desolate, especially the time that we were rolling through there a little after four in the morning. And I was in a truck, a Chevy King cab. So it was one of those big ones where, the back seat, you can actually sit kind of sideways. So I was sitting sideways, not facing towards the front of the truck. And I'd fallen asleep. And the driver, my buddy Jeremy, falls asleep as well. When he wakes up, he overcorrects. And instead of hitting the brake, he hits, or yeah, he hits the gas. We slide north of 70. The truck starts flipping. And that's when I woke up, is when we were sliding. And so by the time we landed, you know, I got out of the truck, uh, my buddy's carrot and freddie they got out we're looking for our buddy because he's not in the seat the windshield's gone and so he actually landed about 20 yards from where the truck landed our saving grace chris was at two off-duty emts happened to be leaving a conference they saw us on the side of the road i didn't even realize i was hurt i had two cuts one on my right leg a fist deep uh on my left leg an eight inch cut and i had to have surgery and 52 staples and Uh, relearn how to walk essentially because in the hospital they're like you know there's some nerve damage you know we'll see you may not be able to walk normally again and man for a guy that was a break dancer you know that that hit hard you know and played played uh, did some track and field and played basketball all those things are kind of running through your head like man what if i never get to do this again so you better believe when i was in that hospital man i i was pushing hard to like rehab there so that when I got back home, that it would, the process would be a little easier. But a couple of crazy things happened. I would love to share in that hospital bed. So 
one, when I woke up, my buddy Brandaris was sitting right next to me. And uh, uh, so rewind a little bit prior to the accident, we were in Utah and Brandaris and I got into this big argument, Chris, like we were, we were fighting because the, the truck I was in was like the cool truck, the cool music, yeah, yeah, yeah. you know, the cool, the, your bros are in there. So we literally were almost in a fist fight in a Walmart parking lot battling of who's going to get in that truck. And I won. Okay. So when that truck landed, if you look at the area where I was supposed to be seated, now I didn't have my seatbelt on and I don't condone not wearing it, yeah. but it was, it was, this was circumstance, but the area that I was sitting in was literally smashed in like a can. And if I would have had my seatbelt on, I would, I would not have made it. And so when I woke up in that hospital bed and I saw Brandaris's face, I said, I'm glad it was me, you know, and he just kind of was like tearing up, you know, I'm like, I'm glad it's not you because what if he was in there, Chris, like that area literally didn't exist anymore. That area was so smashed apart, man. So like, you know, those three moments just have given me such massive clarity and perspective in my life, you know, that like, you know, I've already been given opportunities, you know, like every time that I wake up is it's a gift, right? It's another, it's another birthday because there's been plenty of times when I shouldn't have made it, but also I live with this amazing perspective that even though I've been through those experiences, Chris, I still don't feel like I've faced adversity yet. Knowing what my mom went through for 54 years, uh, you know, her whole body having to operate with one lung. And when I tell people that they're like, how does that even make sense? And I'm like, I have no idea, but that's just the perspective that that I have, you know? Um, And uh, you know, hopefully that adds value to, to your audience, you know, that no matter what your circumstances are, and that's what really what I learned from my mom is don't be a victim of your circumstance, you know, but the one thing that there's been a real unlock in my life is realizing the power in those stories and how that they can really help other people see things differently. Yeah, absolutely, man. And, you know, I, I didn't realize the full extent to, to your accident story. I just, you know, I've seen it, I've, I've heard a little bit about it, but man, that is, it's really intense. And you're right, right, it is you've gone through a ton of adversity. There's learning moments in all of those. And it's incredible, the, your mindset, like you said, that you were just able to say, you know what, like, it could have been worse. And you're just grateful for what you've got. I mean, I'm just trying to think of, all of those people in businesses right now and organizations right now where they're like, man, this, this really sucks. And when you really put things into perspective, it's not too terrible. So it's about, you know, well, what can we do to enhance employees lives to help them see and help them bring value to their own life? Like, what can we do to show them that they, you know, not, not saying, not coming at it from the standpoint of like, Hey, you have it really good here, even though this place sucks, like it might not be a great place to work, but more just from the standpoint of like, Hey, how can we help you feel appreciative and, and really help you change your own mindset, no matter what it is, what's going on in your life, because that mindset is so important. hundred percent. No. And I think, you know, during this pandemic, we've seen companies do one of two things, right? They've either looked inward and focused on what they have, right? The the people, the assets, everything that they have and really strengthened and cultivated those relationships. And then there's the other ones that didn't know what to do. And so they tried to focus more on the external, which is like, let's try to acquire more business. Let's try to do this. And to me, those are the ones that, although they may have generated new business, 
they may have lost some of their, their actual value internally from, from a mission perspective, from a culture perspective. Yeah. Right. Because if, you know, um, and, and, and we tried to teach this to our teams, you know, on site as a property manager, right? Like we, we had property managers at my last organization and, you know, it's not about trying to get new people to come and lease. It's about what are we doing to take care of these residents that are dealing with this pandemic? Are we being empathetic? How do we have fun virtually? How do we, you know, change that whole thought process um, so that they know that we're here for them, that we're going through this thing together, you know? And so that I think is, uh, a way that if you do it like that, people are going to remember, right? Because that's the thing. People are going to remember whether you were kind during the pandemic or whether you just were all in it for the money, you know, whether you were empathetic to their situation or it was just like, a, well, rent's due. You know what I'm saying? So, yeah. uh, and I think that's a message for every business out there that uh, because 2021, although the new year is here, there's still things that people are dealing with, you know, yeah. whether that's, you know, you know, their uh, can't pay their rent or whether that's they've lost a loved one that had happened to get sick during this whole thing or their house burned down because of a wildfire. I mean, there's so many things. And so I think instituting radical empathy is probably the best position that any business owner or company or independent can take because we're all going through the same things. Like I'm at my house, you're at your house. You know what I'm saying? And, yeah. and that when we can really get past that facade of like business has to happen in a rectangle with a, a light bill that's being paid, I think the better off the planet is going to be. Yeah, yeah, and, yeah. and I know for me, like I'm going to be as a business owner, I'm going to be a pro remote business owner. You know, like I prefer you to work where you want to work because it's important that we have an environment for one that we're comfortable with because like, I don't know about you, but I perform very well in a place that I'm, I know, like I know where my things are. I've got a, I've got this drink next to me. I can just come and grab, right? Like, like that's important. And so when you can give that to people and allow people to, to be themselves, you better believe they're when they show up, they're going to show up a better version of them and they're going to be more excited and motivated to, to work from you. So uh, those are just kind of some, some of the tips that, that I would love to give that, you know, things that worked for us and the last company I was in, but also things that, I, that I'm going to be carrying over into to my business as it grows. Yeah, absolutely, man, man. And you, you gave us such a great story and, and analogy of, right. Not only just from, you know, Gables taking care of their, their residents, right. And seeing what happens with that as a business organization. But again, that applies internally as a company. And when you take care of your own employees, right? Like my thing is your employees are your number one clients. They're your number one customer. You got to take care of them. So yeah, man, that that's incredible. Um, and then, you know, moving on to what you had said about empathy, I know you are a huge, huge uh, supporter and advocate and believer in self-awareness EQ, why do you think it's such an important skill, not only as an individual, but as a leader? Yeah, I, I think I have an unfair advantage, Chris, because I'm a, I'm a big believer that, you know, adversity gives us strength, but it also increases our emotional intelligence. You know, that self-awareness that we gain from near-death experiences or pain or suffering or even seeing somebody go through it because you know i experienced my mom like there were several times she could have died when i was a kid 
mm-hmm. you know? So like I got used to getting home from school and taking a couple buses to go to the hospital to sit there so she could write me notes because she had a, a the thing in her throat where she couldn't speak. You know what I'm saying? And so yeah. like empathy is something that I learned very, very young. Uh, and then I had a grandmother who got sick and she had cancer and it was a great grandmother got cancer and, and then dementia and, and just seeing her disappear essentially and not remember who I was or my mom. So, you know, I, I think those experiencing it firsthand in a real life situations prepares you for the real world when you get here, yeah. because it actually, you actually went through it. Does that, I don't know if that, that makes sense. But so I think for me, um, and I really, it's funny you brought that up, but like, I didn't correlate the two until just a second ago, but I think it's, it's an important factor in why I'm able to do that. Like today is because I yeah. got that experience uh, early on. And so I, I would say you have, you know, you're one of the, you know, I'm putting this in quotes, lucky ones where you get to learn that early on because it gets ingrained in you because empathy and people skills, right. These quote unquote soft skills are so hard to learn especially when we're adults, right? Because we have all of those things already ingrained in us, all of those, that hardwiring. So it's really tough to kind of switch and, and work. And as a trainer, I know, you know, right? Like it's so hard to change behavior, especially long-term. So how do leaders who are not necessarily naturally empathetic, don't have as high of an EQ, how do they start moving that needle? What is your method or what is your belief on how we can get them to become more empathetic? Yeah, it's, it's, I'm going to give, this is the same method I give to every uh, client that I have. That's, you know, that works with me is you got to put in the reps. You you have, you have to put in the reps. It's just like, if you want to get better at rejection, go hear a bunch of no's, you know, not yeses. The yeses are the easy ones, right? It's, it's the no's it's the types of no's it's, it's putting that, getting that experience under your belt. So if you want to be more empathetic, like start with texting three people a day randomly in your, in your phone book, in your contact list and tell them how much you appreciate them uh, or check, just check on them. Hey, how are you doing? Um, how's your family? You know? So I think it starts with just, just, you know, something small, but that can start to snowball into something bigger where now you're picking up the phone or now you're scheduling time to meet with somebody and truly listening to, to what's going on in their world. Right. Because before we actually start to care, uh, it's going to be very hard to be empathetic, you know? So you have to start to take that at the initiative is everything. And that initiative can start really small, but it can, it can start to scale pretty quickly, you know, and, and I work with leaders, you know, I've taught a leadership program, a six month program, you know, where they spend these 15 leaders spend eight hours a day with me, you know, for six months, you know, you know, one session a month for six months, but then I get to coach them and I get to work on things like empathy, being more empathetic to their team, because again, we're all wired differently. And, you know, that program happens to be predicated on MBTI, which I'm certified in. And so, uh, but when people have that baseline info, when they can, you know, uh, take an introspective look and whether it's MBTI or DISC or Enneagram, and there's so many amazing, amazing assessments, but getting that baseline knowledge is huge because that's, that's where the self-awareness begins. And now you will actually start to want to give more empathy because you understand how that person is wired. 
Yeah. You know, so I think it starts from within, right? Take that, you can take that deep invest in an assessment or take a free one. You know, the free ones aren't going to be as dialed in as one that you invest in, of course, because there's not, they're not backed up by as many uh, reps, as many, as much data points, but I think they will at least get you to a point to where you can say, wow, now that I know these things about me, it's actually easier now to start to understand these things about other people. Yeah. That's a man. That's a great uh, recommendation. Just texting the people in your phone. Um, I mean, that's one of my favorite, favorite things to do is just, Hey, I haven't talked to that person in a while. Like, let me just reach out to them real quick and, and give them a text. Um, and it's and easy, I, right? Like it, yeah, there's so no pressure, easy. you know, like so easy. they don't, you don't have to look at them. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? So yeah. again, like start small, you don't have yeah. to, you don't have to go out and, yeah. you know, just go try to grab somebody out of their house, you know, and have that yeah. a, a heart to heart conversation, like start yeah. it small and, and you'll get there. But I mean, like, I, I can't tell you how many times I've had replies back being like, man, Chris, you are texting at such a good time. Like I needed to talk to someone or I'm going through a rough patch, but like, again, like, let's take that back to the workplace. Like how often are you doing that with your employees, right? Like how often are you doing that with your team and not even just the people you manage, but outside of your team. Yeah. Like, so hey, like, I'm, I'm just that person. Like I'm that person with all my friends. Like I've, I've like 25 year friends, you know, friends, we've been friends since eighth grade and I'm the glue of that group. Like I'm the one that that's actually keeping us together over the years. So like, but if I show up in town and I text this group, I've got 12 people that will literally show up and drop everything. Yeah. Does that make sense? Oh, but, yeah. Yeah. but that's also a strength of mine. And it's funny because when I first took an emotional intelligence assessment, it said that my weakest area was relationship building. And I had a problem with that, Chris. I actually went to the instructor. <laughs> yeah. I was like, yeah, I don't think this assessment's right. You know, and yeah. she, she had to, it took her explaining to me. She said, so tell me how do you, how do you build relationships? I'm like, well, I have friends 20, but I went through the whole thing. And, and she's like, so you do this naturally. I'm like, I guess so. She's like, well, that's why you're the one that scored yourself dummy. Like you, I didn't <laughs> score. You're the one that put these responses, but it was because I didn't see the value in it because it comes so natural. So yeah. I didn't even give myself credit for it. Does that make sense? That makes so much. And, and, that's and so, hopefully that helps yeah. the audience because yeah. when you take these assessments, don't, you know, look at every result as like a full tilt thing you have to analyze. And that's why I always recommend get a professional, get someone that knows these things inside and out that can break down and decipher because she asked me some really great questions. And because of those questions, I was able to realize that, yeah, I didn't even value it because it came so easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, man. That's such a good point, man. Um, and something to really take forward. Real quick before I move on, uh, since it's on my on my mind, I know you're a huge sports guy. I love sports too. And just with you and all the adversity that you've gone through, what's your favorite adversity story that you've seen or heard? It could be a movie, it could be a book, whatever. You know, what is your favorite adversity story that you know of? Oh man, there's there are so many, <laughs> so many favorite adversity stories and sports. And um, you know, man. Portland basketball has just, you know, they just had their, their bad luck when it comes to great players that don't get a chance to live up to their, to their hype or their opportunity. And, and man, an adversity story that uh, a guy that I have so much respect for is Brandon Roy, you know, a guy that played, you know, uh, was a star in college was a star for the trailblazers. And, 
you know, uh, went through some knee surgeries and came back and some third, you know, and came back and, and then he had one final one and, and his career was short, but man, what a, what a pure shooter. He was like Lillard before Lillard was, was existed, man. He would just light it up and game winners, big time shots, just a big time player. And, and yeah, just, you know, knowing what he went through and the fact that he kept coming back. Uh, and it was basically until, you know, of course, medically, they're like, I don't know if this is the best thing to do, <laughs> yeah. but like, you know, I have so much respect for people like that. And, and it's always tough. I always think about some of the notable athletes whose, you know, careers are cut short by injury. And, and that's always tough, man. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Ooh. All right, cool. Uh, going on to, to really, you know what, actually that's a really good segue to, you know, what I want to talk about next, which is your new, business you've officially like launched blaze your own trail consulting and i know that you took that name from the portland trailblazers your favorite your favorite team so tell me more about that and what you're doing yeah absolutely yeah so um you know i I already have clients so some some clients are retainer based and it's kind of more of an a la carte consultative approach so i have uh you know just to give you an example of what a contract might look like so I have systems integration. So helping them set up instead of having just a static website, I'll help them create a a link tree so that we can drive and measure traffic to multiple link sources versus just one static web page. right? It just, Mm -hmm. it makes it a lot more live. It's kind of a one-stop shop ecosystem. So I help them with that, help them brand that, launch that, measure the data, track that. Um, I also help with social media uh, content strategy and campaigns. So I have a, a a lawn care client right now, we're working on a series of videos for weed control, right? Like nobody, nobody likes weeds. Like I hate them in my yard. And so we, we're creating content around educating his audience about the weeds themselves. And then at the end, we'll have a call to action where he's given everybody that watched the series, a discount code to use the services if they don't want to pick, you know, do their own weeding in their yard. Right. So, so I help people with, with content strategy like that, um, branding, you know, whether that's through social media, I've, I've, you know, in, you know, the last 22 months built an audience of over 60,000, uh, followers on LinkedIn. And, and that's really given me a lot of organic leads, inbound leads that, yeah. uh, that I've generated because people are kind of, how did you do this? So another thing that I offer is a, a 12-week uh, LinkedIn coaching program, and it takes all of my clients from uh, optimization of their profile to lead generation. So essentially, I'm teaching my clients how to fish, right? How to optimize their profile so that it's truly built as more of a sales page than a resume. Because if it's built as a resume, then you're going to get people that are looking to hire you. If it's built like a sales page, you're going to get people that are looking to buy from you. Right. And so those are really the two contexts of how it should be built. And, and so for my clients, it's, you know, there's so much power in the real estate that LinkedIn gives you and something, and this will be some good tips for your audience. You know, if you guys are listening, wherever you are, grab a pen and paper real quick. I'm about to give you some, some value here. Right. So your, your headline image right? That big image, that's a piece of real estate. You know how much costs for billboards? You ever looked up, Chris, how much billboards cost? Uh, not, not recently, not in recent they're, years. They're, they're not cheap, my friend, yeah. like tens of thousands of dollars. Yeah. And LinkedIn gives you a free one. And most people don't even use it. So most people just have the, the, the 
uh, template that LinkedIn gave you. Well, guess what, folks? Put an image there. Put a quote. Put something. Put some type of call to action on there. Okay, that's that's tip number one. The next one is your headline image. So you can do this a couple different ways. You can mix it, but a service perspective is one way. So you know, I help marketers gain visibility on LinkedIn. I could put that right, or you can do it from a keyword perspective, like you know, consultant slash CEO slash whatever, and you're going to get the love from that those keyword search results. So th those are kind of the two ways for your tagline. You just want to have something that's catchy. And, and again, folks, everything I'm telling you, this is a living organism. Like these things can change every day if you want. That's the beautiful thing about, about marketing is you constantly want to test and change. When it comes to your about summary, what I teach my clients and everybody's different. Some people are like, well, do this, do that. But this is the way that I do it. I'm a big believer that uh, people uh, really, really get engaged with people that they understand, that they know their story and their journey. So I'm a big believer that you want to start there. You want to give people context into who you are, your journey, your story. Once you've done that, then you can start to talk about your expertise. Okay. Once you've done that, then you can tell them what you want them to do next through a call to action. Once you've done that, that featured section that no one uses that often. Yeah that should be your, where you're pointing your call to action to so that that traffic gets driven to the place that you want to go. Okay. So that's some free advice for LinkedIn. <laughs> if you set up your profile that way, if you really take that in and, and make it contextual to your business or your company that you work for, that is the foundation. And just like when you're building houses, if your foundation is strong, you're going to have a house that's there it's sustainable. But if there's faulty foundation, if it's weak, your house is going to fall over. So hopefully that's helpful. Awesome, man. I love it. Uh, yeah. I get a lot of people who, who come up to me asking, uh, asking to check out their, their LinkedIn pages. So yeah, that's, uh, that's perfect. And the other thing I'd love to share with you. So the yeah. other uh, two things with the business that, that are launching this year, um, I have a mastermind launching this month. Um, it's a 12, uh, it's a 12 month mastermind. So you'll get to hang with me for a year. You know, we do two sessions a week. Every session gets recorded and uploaded to the, the member site. And just in case uh, folks can't attend, but uh, the expectations of what people are going to get through the year is they're going to elevate their business in the areas of sales, marketing, and leadership. So there'll be some MBTI, some EQ. There's going to be some funnels. If you need to build a funnel systems, podcast coaching. So it's a whole year of content and guest speakers and uh, building relationships with other business owners. Um, and so if anyone's interested in that, reach out, love, love to put you through that application process. I'm only doing 15 people each cohort. So there it's limited. And then February the 8th, Chris, and I'm going to make sure you get to attend this for free brother, but I'm launching a 30 day blaze your content challenge on February the 8th. It's 200 bucks. So, you know, a lower ticket just to, to give everybody a chance to, to get involved in it. Um, yeah, yeah. But for your audience, brother, um, I'll, I'll make sure that I, I give you, we'll communicate after the show. I'll give everyone a coupon code for 50% off. Awesome. And that way, if they want to join the challenge, you know, for, you know, hundred bucks, I mean, you're, you're going to learn how to get consistent at creating. And I don't know if your audience is a lot of business owners, right. But you know, content's everything you got to yeah. keep constantly creating. And so you're going to get those foundations you need to be successful. Perfect, man. Thank you so much. That's awesome. Um, thank you for that offer. And you know, for those of you who are listening, yeah, make sure you hop on that. Uh, before we go, the last question I have to ask you is what is the impact that you are looking to leave when you lead others? Oh man, I'm about transformation. You know, my, it's, it's funny you ask that because my whole mastermind, 
uh, every person I put in uh, is, is somebody I know I can transform in a year, you know? And so if I don't feel that I can transform them in some way, whether that's from a leadership perspective, helping them be a better, you know, father or husband or, or you know, wife, right? A spouse, um, or maybe it's elevating their revenue for their business. It's elevating their strategies. But I want to know that I can transform somebody in a year, then that's a perfect client for me. Yeah. If I can't, guess what? I'm not, I can't do everything. I will resource you. I'll send you to somebody that can. I've got a lot of people, you know, in my network, especially the last couple of years with the podcast and everything that I'd be happy to, to send, uh, send you to someone that I know can help you in those areas, you know, because that's, that's one thing I, I focus on a few different areas and I've got expertise there, but if I don't know it, I'm not going to just make something up. I'd rather go to the experts. You know, that's yeah. it's super important that you go to the people that, that have that info for you. Yeah. Perfect, man. Well, I'm, again, that speaks to your activator uh, strength. So fantastic. Um, activating others. All right. Well, last thing, where can people connect with you? Where can people find you? Yeah. So um, LinkedIn's a great place. Um, you can look me up on there, you know, Jordan Mendoza. Um, I do have a premium. So my messaging is open, although I'm maxed out at the 30,000 connections, you can follow me. And then if you want to send me a message, if you have questions, I'm happy to answer. I love, you know, Q and a, and if there's any way that I can add value to you, um, don't hesitate to reach out. Also Instagram at Jordan J Mendoza, TikTok at blaze your own trail, um, Twitter at Jordan J Mendoza. So I'm all over social. If you just you know, Google, Google the name and, and you'll be able to find me. Um, and also check out the podcast. Um, we just launched the first five episodes of season three, have some amazing guests uh, lined up uh, for this year. And uh, I appreciate you, Chris, for allowing me to come on and, and share some, some insights. And, you know, I can't wait to uh, hopefully be connecting with some of your audience in the challenge. And if there's any way I can add value to anyone listening, uh, don't hesitate to reach out. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Jordan, before we sign off, I want to leave you with one quick thing. Uh, a bit of praise from Nick Dorsey, your partner in crime at Blaze Your Own Trail, who said, Jordan is one of the most amazing people I've met. His passion to help people give advice and just listen. It's hard to find someone else that compares. His leadership is simple but effective. Let's talk. Let's brainstorm. Let's execute. He gives respect. He's loyal. He's a great husband, father, and most importantly, he's an amazing friend. I can't say enough about Jordan, this guy's family to me. So again, man, you're making that That's impact. Awesome. You're, you're transforming others, man. And um, thank you again so much for everything that you're doing. And I'm looking forward to everything that comes this year and beyond for you. Appreciate it, brother. No, thanks so much. Thank you for tuning into this episode of the Leading People First podcast. I hope you had some great takeaways from Jordan and feel inspired to do a lot more, uh, especially around being resilient and having to deal with adversity. His stories are amazing. I just can't believe how much he had to go through in his, in his entire life, uh, and he's not even 40 yet. It, it's insane. So make sure you reach out, connect with him. Uh, if you are interested in his mastermind, make sure you sign up. That is closing soon. Anyway, let's keep this conversation going by telling me what you learned or loved from this episode on LinkedIn and Instagram. And if you loved this episode, make sure you are sharing it with at least one person who needs to hear Jordan's message. Thank you again for tuning in. Keep leading people first and stay awesome.